1: Media Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. We've got a fantastic program in store for you today. We talk with Andy Smith, the CEO of Ashcor. He explains their innovation process and the clean energy space. Smith also dives into problems with waste gas, regulation, challenges in flaring, and the EPA and what natural gas subsidies might mean to the USA. All that plus much more on today's episode of the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. I'd like to thank you folks for joining us. Just a quick reminder, we're part of the Crude Life Media Network. If you'd like to follow our social media interviews, go to thecrudelife.com and click on the Social Media tab. Right there is our network. we got a bunch of different uh, Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube and Twitter, all those different pages are up there. If you click on them, like them, share them, etc. Anyway, it's 350,000 followers we have at The Crude Life with our social media network. So if you'd like to check that out, we'd appreciate it very much. Andy Smith is our guest today here at the Multimedia Cafe, He's the CEO of AshCore. Let's get to this exclusive interview. This is Andy Smith, the CEO of AshCore.
2: Andy Smith,
1: AshCore outstanding our levels look great here as we start the recording for the program how you doing today there mr smith i'm good sir how are you doing doing great now before we started the interview you mentioned that uh, you are located in chattanooga tennessee which i of course kind of chuckled because i remember chattanooga as one of those cities from my childhood i seem to remember and uh Talk to me a little bit about first of all Ashcore, the company that uh, you're you're involved with, and then you know just uh, how Chattanooga, Tennessee, got to be uh, part of that existence. I guess.
2: Yeah, no, of course. So, so home for me is uh, a little bit north of Atlanta, Georgia, so about an hour south of, of Chattanooga, and been in the clean energy space since 2001, promoting, selling, manufacturing clean and closed burners uh low emission technology for a variety of industry segments and we've always found a good kind of heart people location here in chattanooga tennessee because um we've got good schools that are training good welders and good uh, equipment technicians and we've had an abundance of yeah just good folks who are really good quality uh, people at what they do so welding comes naturally They, they, they love the trade and um, so we found a good home here in Chattanooga, and we've been here, um, yeah, for many years.
1: Well, that's great. You mentioned you've got other people across the country either in um, – well, and, and affiliated with the companies, company in, in more or less. Is that right?
2: Yeah, so we've got um, – service is a big thing for us, so sales and service. So we've got those folks out locally in the markets that we play in. So upstream oil and gas, midstream oil and gas are, are big markets for us. Uh, biogas is another one. So we've got folks spread out between, uh, the Bakken. So North Dakota, Wyoming, uh, the Rockies region. So Colorado, down to the Permian, West Texas, that area we've got folks. And then, um, California as well. So we've got, we've got pockets of people spread out across the U S and so we can really be closer to the customers and, and, and around what they're doing.
1: Talk to me a little bit about your customer. Um, you, I, I've heard welding. I've heard clean energy, ash core. I mean, I, I'm. Uh, um, what 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 is it specifically you guys are are doing there? And and talk to yeah, me yeah. about so your where, customer a little bit, yeah.
2: Yeah. So where it all kind of it all kind of meets it, the the data point of all of those things is is the product itself. And so the product is a low emission flare, and a flare is a device just to burn off the waste gas from a variety of different processes, and so. Our claim to fame, our real niche, is enclosed combustor, so taking the flame and keeping it inside of an enclosure. And for us, that could be, if you can imagine, a stainless steel stack that's, let's say, 10, 10 feet in diameter and 40 foot tall, and we have a, a multi-nozzle burner assembly at the bottom, some air louvers to control the amount of air coming in, kind of like a window blind going in, open and closed, some couples to measure temperature, and then a typically an automatic Pilot system so that we can control the pilot gas that ignites the burner itself. And so that's where the welding comes in. So the welders are making that product for us. Um, our service guys are, are working with our customers in the field, and our sales guys are working with our customers as well to supply that solution. So our customers are, let's say for the upstream oil and gas industry, are, are operators who are drilling or completing wells, and they've got an environmental either regulation or a permit or just a stewardship component to do things cleaner and so that's where we come in we come in and we we not only eliminate the visibility of a flame that's out on the sites but we emit far less than open flares would um, or venting would so the the environment gets cleaned up the visual aspect gets cleaned up the noise and, and smell pollution get cleaned up and so it's a yeah, it's a nifty little solution for, for what's going on
1: out in the industry. Talk to me a little bit about the innovation process here. Um, you know, clean energy, of course, my mind goes right away to innovation. But as I'm learning, you know, sometimes innovation is just an angle or it's just uh, enclosing something properly or... In some cases, it's you know grabbing technology from a hundred years ago and just applying it to today. In other cases, it's you know it's it's small processors and smart pigs and data sensors that sort of thing. How does innovation play into what you're talking about with your product and and how you're assisting the oil and gas industry?
2: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's multifaceted. So, so our customers they come to us with a problem. The problem is what to do with the waste gas. So that's the if they can if they can put. The process gas back into a pipeline, then that's always preferred because now you're using that energy. Um, if you could take that gas and use it in an engine or use it in for other applications, so now you're getting a use out of it, and that's that's always preferred. But our our angle is when you can't do those things, or you're at a remote site that has no infrastructure, and so, or you've inevitably got a, a waste gas stream that is not able to be used in those different apparatus, then we come into play, and so. Our innovation piece is really in the in the burner technology itself and so you know the, the evolution of kind of the flaring combustor world is you know started with just venting through a pipe and then they started igniting the end of that pipe and now you've got just an open flare or a pit flare um, you started to see some some engineered flares where you had actually some controllability to the openness so you you would you know manually lighted as opposed to throwing a rag over it. Um, and then the next thing was to just throw a shroud around it so you don't see it. And, it, and so that evolution was fine, but where we kind of fit in was at that point right there. So we take that, that enclosure or that, that need to take away the visibility of the flame. But then we add a burner technology and a controllability to it that provides a, an extremely clean burn. So we, we take, all of the gas is coming in, and we burn 99.9% of what's, what's there we emit. So we have huge savings for the environment. And then we do it with a couple keywords in our industry are nitrous oxide, which is NOx, and then carbon monoxide, which is CO. So we're, our job is to try to minimize those because there are regulations in certain parts of the world that you know, regulate the amount of NOx or CO or construction efficiency
3: that you could have.
1: Mr. Andy Smith, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause and we come back. Andy Smith, the CEO of Ashcor, right here on the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies, and you're listening to the Multimedia Cafe.
3: Jason Speece, the most trusted voice in the Bakken.
4: Let's bring in Jason Speece, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Jason, what's your thought on this? My dad always listens to Jason Speece.
3: No one does an interview like Jason Speece. Jason Speece is the most
2: trusted voice in the Balkan. Love listening to Jason Speece on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. You know, I don't know what justifies being placed in history books, Jason, but in my book, it's in there. <laughs> this is a good thing. Is your boss watching this? Got you it. need a raise.
4: It's
1: Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, coming up next, we continue the conversation with Andy Smith, the CEO of Ashcore.
2: Because there are regulations in certain parts of the world that regulate the amount of NOx or CO or construction efficiency that you could have.
1: What are some of the biggest challenges you're finding with flaring, um... Maybe you're not finding any, but in Texas, you know, they're pretty much paying people to get it out of there so they could drill. And up in North Dakota, I think they're 12, 13 months in a row now. They haven't hit their flaring uh, numbers in terms of capturing or whatever their criteria is. Uh, What challenges are you finding uh, as far as um, getting some of that gas? I mean, there's there's plenty of it out there.
2: Yeah, there's plenty of it out there. So we're 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 kind of finding two challenges. One is um, one is on the process side. So we're trying to take gas that's either very wet or very dirty, um, have a lot of condensates in it, has low pressure. Uh, so we're having to design solutions that are really flexible and able to take whatever we're getting, which oftentimes isn't necessarily known from the customer. So we're trying to take gases and pressures and different btu values and these kind of things um and then still burn them as clean as we could if it was a constant flow of of, of natural gas so good clean gas so we're we're able to overcome that but that's a challenge that we're always battling is um all we always say we have a standard system for a certain application every every standard ends up being a little bit different because we have different features and functions to do with the customer needs. So that, that's one challenge. And then the other one is really innovation. So we're trying to always look and say, we're burning gas and that's a waste product. How can we then use that heat to do something else with it? And so we've done applications where in a landfill, for example, and even on oil and gas sites, when you have like dirty water, we'll take the, the waste heat from our combustor and then use 100% of that waste heat in order to act as the heat source for a heat exchanger or a concentrator to evaporate, whether it be leachate from a landfill or produce water that they're trucking away in the oil and gas sites. So we're just trying to always find a way to be cleaner and more efficient and solution-oriented.
1: You mentioned you're in a number of different plays, a number of different shale plays. Uh, Is your product able to be used in the different shell plays? Do you got to customize it for each one? I know when you go underground, it seems like every inch you got to customize. I guess I'm not really familiar if you have to above ground.
2: Yeah, no. So for us, uh, the way we we think about our enclosed combustors and and vapor combustors is that we design everything based on power. So we take the, the type of gas, which changes by shell play, or even in, sometimes within the shell play, um, and the flow rates, which changes site to site, and the pressure. And so we take those three constituents, and and those things dictate a certain power of a combustor. So that combustor could be on one side, it could be 2-foot diameter and 20-foot tall, and then on another side it could be 12-foot diameter and 40-foot tall. And so what's customized with, within our system is really the burner head, and then the burner head is designed to... And train enough air so you get good mixing, and that dictates a certain stack size and stack height. So very similar situation, very similar technology, just customized by size more or less throughout the different regions and the plays, and depending on if you have got a heavy gas like they do in the Bakken, or more of a natural type gas that they do in West Texas.
1: Sure, sure. The the wet gas and the dry gas, right? The different. Uh... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually at your website here, ashcore.com and I'm just hovering above products. And it looks like you guys have got a number of different products to kind of go with a number of different, uh, I guess instances that would be needed. You know, that's sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. So, indeed.
2: Yeah. Indeed. We kind of, um, we kind of cut our teeth and, and really from a technology perspective in the closed combustor space. So that's, uh, you know, trying to eliminate the visible flame and, and yeah. the noise and, all that. And then we've been pulled really into other applications where you, 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 might migrate in a certain application to an open flare, maybe an air assist flare or a steam assist flare when your gas volumes are just so high that you would need, you know, a football field full of enclosed combustors when instead you could do it efficiently and cleanly with one open uh, air assist product or, or steam assist flare. Uh, so yeah, so we've been pulled into, Kind of filling up our bucket, anything sort of in that initial control category, Sure, Um, we pride ourselves on on really knowing how to engineer it and provide it.
1: The other part I wanted to ask you about when it comes to, you know, the the Bakken and and Texas use those as the differences. Um, When it comes to the flaring, you know, not only do you have the different types of gas, the wet gas and the Bakken, the dry gas down in Texas, but... The regulations was the other side of things. And I noticed on your website, you guys have an entire, you know, um, tab, I guess is, I'm not sure what those things are called at the top anymore on the navigation bar <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, field, whatever, uh, devoted to regulations. And and that's been my hunch. You know, the last five years, it almost seems like more and more companies have to almost have some sort of re- regulatory knowledge uh, from state to state, because it, it differs so much, it seems. Um, what, what What's your experience? And, you know, I talk to me a little bit about that regulations portion of your business.
2: Yeah, no, we, we got involved early on with um, years and years ago with, with the EPA. And so there it was really geared toward, you know, what does the federal regulation look like across the board? And then inevitably what started happening is the state level started picking up different regulations and enforcement levels and and stringentness of what they're gonna adhere to and so what became kind of the umbrella epa federal regulation that we had to comply with across the board uh states started taking a more aggressive look at what they viewed as you know good technology and good emission levels and even required emission levels and so what that sort of catapulted was was a I don't know if it was an innovation or a, a proof of the pudding kind of thing where you know you're taking your technology into the into the states you're proving it on an application and showing the emission levels that you could meet and then states are really really geared toward looking at that and, and setting levels so California would do what they call the best available control technology so they would look at technology and say hey you guys are really leading the innovation of combustors and we're going to we're going to set our regulations at that level and so you know state by state it's very different so we do we have to stay on top of it from you know from a state level and and because the technology will change and in the Bakken you mentioned they had um, stringent VOC emission levels and even some, some NOx emission levels that you just don't see down in Texas and New Mexico California has its own set the Rockies have its own set and so yeah, it's very state-driven, and then when we go outside internationally, um, Canada, each Alberta, I mean, each, each province has its own set of criteria as well. So we really look at it from a North American perspective, and it, it really breaks down into almost a, a regional regulatory requirement.
1: Mr. Andy Smith, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause, and we come back. Andy Smith, the CEO of Ashcor, right here on the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Speece and you're listening to the Multimedia Cafe.
3: I'm
4: a
3: The good thinkers,
4: and here's to the lonely drinker, but don't you know.
1: Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, coming up next, we continue the conversation with Andy Smith, the CEO of Ashcor
2: Each province has its own set of criteria as well. So we really look at it from a North American perspective and it, it really breaks down into almost a a regional regulatory requirement.
1: When it comes to the flaring side of things as well, uh what are you hearing from operators, from people? You know, there's there's a, a big push towards renewable energy. Uh there's a gentleman in Canada, I love his his take on it, Terry Edom, he's a writer for the BOE report. He says there's such an abundance of natural gas it should be considered not renewable, but free, and so it should be kind of lumped in with, with the renewables a little bit because it's clean. Um, sure. We're not a political program, but we have started to pontificate a little bit by just asking the question, and I'd be curious to get your response on this. What would a world look like if we, if we took 50% of the subsidies from – Solar and wind, who've had 40 years of subsidies. And it's not to pick on solar and wind, it's to say that you've had 40 years of subsidies. And right now we have this issue called flaring. And if some of these science projects and some of these value added uh, natural gas companies got a little boost to capital, who knows what could happen? Who knows what great product could be developed or some new. Efficient form of energy, and who who knows? Maybe we'd all have indoor gardens in our basement by, you know, something. Um, t- you know, the energy companies—they've they're taxed quite a bit in North Dakota. I know that they're taxed eleven and a half percent with the extrac- extraction and production tax, and. Then you put on, you know, they make sure that the community centers are lights are on and the churches can have bake sales and the little little league teams have baseball uniforms. And, you know, at the end of the day, there's just not a lot of money for R&D unless you're at $70 plus oil. What would a world look like if, you know, a natural gas company like yourself or some of your colleagues that you know are sleeping on well sites, checking monitors, you know, if they got a little bit of a subsidy money, you know, for five years, what would a world look like with natural gas and the flaring and, you know, a a company like yours, or I'll even go a step further, the mineral rights people would get paid and now the local cafes and the Hardware Hanks would get a little in surge of money too, so um sure anyway I, I very long-winded question to basically say you know i'm not trying to be political here but you're in the industry so what w- are w- would you understand what i'm talking about not see that or talk to me a little bit about it? no it's it.
2: a excellent and excellent question very well articulated no so when we when we kind of embrace on the industry of, of really taking a clean technology even be it a flare or a combustor to the market um we were really at the time leading the innovation, right? And so, what we were finding, though, is that companies were saying, "Hey, we don't, we don't need that, or we're not going to pay the little bit of a premium for that, and we actually just want to burn it with a pit flare or anything we can to get away from it as economical as possible." And so, that actually pulled us backwards a bit as far from a technology perspective. And so, you find yourself thinking, "Wow!" Just the, the question you're asking yourself: if if the resources are there to really plow in and, and and bring creativity and innovation into a space that is hungry and, and, and eager to do this, it's unstoppable what could potentially happen. Because if I'm out on a random restaurant and meet a random stranger and say, they say, hey, what do you do for a living? And we say, oh, we, we supply flares or burners, or, and we do it in an environmentally friendly way, and we're a, a mission control company. The first question 95% of the people say is, why are you burning it off? should be using that energy and, and that's uh, I think that's the gap in the 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 hunger that people outside the industry have and then that we inside the industry also have is just figuring out how to bridge that gap and yeah it's a um, it's a big broad question but definitely I think I think we're all aligned in that direction
1: yeah and I think that's an interesting part of it too is is the connection part and and that's actually one of my criticisms and it falls on me too because i'm i'm in the communication industry and for the last seven eight nine years it's been primarily oil and gas and there has been a disconnect uh between the industry and the average folk i mean i saw it in colorado happen right before my eyes when i would go there and talking to people in the breakfast bars and people are looking over their shoulder before they say the oil and gas industry, you know, that they work in there. And you know, when I grew up, the, um, the light switch was never political and now it is. And that's, that's just, it's, it's a new dynamic. I think that, um, the industry needs to accept and figure out a new way to connect. I don't know.
2: Yeah, no, I know. And, And to get a, you know, to gain that, that positive outlook again on what the industry is doing and can do and, and, and not necessarily the all the negatives concentrated with
1: it yeah no i agree yeah you know it's a little bit like agriculture you know a lot of people don't associate you know the farms with the supermarket and you know and and hamburgers and everything else like that and and in some instances good but in others it's it's kind of like okay there is that much of a disconnect to where you take for granted that much that your light switch turns on and Everything else. Anyways, let's, we're not here to solve the world's problems. Lord knows we don't have enough time, so. Uh, no, no, but you're right.
2: It is about communication. And that's, that's a big thing. And, you know, kind of going back to the regulatory piece on, on our website, that's, that's, that's what we're trying to do with that piece and that component is really trying to educate, you know, folks who are at the oil companies and may not know the, the federal or the state regulations and, or what's required. And so it's that, you know, finding a way to kind of communicate and, and bridge that gap.
1: So the million-dollar question, you know, everybody's big push is clean and green and Mean Joe Green. So what's uh, what, what are you, yeah, do you have like that? The little Steelers uh, <laughs> nod there. I mean, I. I you uh, if you had to describe you, you know, your company as being clean and energy efficient and everything, what you do? Uh, give me an elevator pitch on that. You know, a thirty-second, a sixty-second 30 60 overview of. Why you can say you're trying to, or you guys are, you know, cleaning the planet? Why you're helping the planet?
2: Yeah, no, we spent years developing um, technology, and it's really in the burner technology and how you assemble that into a into a device or a solution. But um, perfecting the gas coming from the the source, whatever that may be, mixing it with the proper amount of air, trying to take a a single gas stream and break it into really an infinite number of, of burner flames um, provides the cleanest combustion that you can get. And so we're trying to emulate that in a practical way um, given the, the pressures and the flows and the gas compositions and the water and the dry gas and all of those parameters. Uh, trying to innovate to do that as, as clean and flexible and customer friendly so that they can, you know, our device doesn't become a limiting factor so that Ultimately, what's being burned through our flare comes out with, you know, a 99.99% destruction efficiency. So very little amount of unburned hydrocarbon as low as NOx as achievable and as low as CO is achievable. So that the result is 21 times greater impact on the environment than if you were to just vent the gas.
1: How's it working on the bottom lines for companies? You know, that's what they want to know. Uh, are you saving money? Is it is it a you know is it a ten year process like a solar panel? Uh, talk to me about how you're you know helping companies sharpen their sharpen their their, their bottom lines. I guess I, I assume you are. Yeah. You, you know that's otherwise you probably yeah. wouldn't be in business.
2: Um no, no. no. So they um, so in order for a for an, an operator or a landfill or or any industries that we plan on buying gas or or barge truck loading anything like that, they've got to have a certain amount of um, control devices in place in order to ensure that they're not exceeding state or federal permitting limits or emission limits and that kind of thing. So where we come in is really on two fronts. One is, you know, step one is say, hey, we have a control device that will allow you to just meet the permit requirements and you're good to go. So
1: Mr. Andy Smith, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause and we come back Andy Smith, the CEO of Ashcor, right here on the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies, and you're listening to the Multimedia
4: Cafe. And here's to carrying the weight of the world. And here's to screaming, yeah, never being heard. And here's to not letting this moment pass.
1: Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, coming up next, we continue the conversation with Andy Smith, the CEO of Ashcor.
2: Control devices in place in order to ensure that they're not exceeding state or federal permitting limits or emission limits and that kind of thing. So where we come in is really on two fronts. One is, you know, step one is say, hey, we have a control device that will allow you to just meet the permit requirements and you're good to go. So now it's time to have a product or solution that's as cost competitive as as possible. The real advantage is when we can say, hey, traditional technology will allow you to reach this operating level and then you're gonna max out on your emissions. But if you come in with this control device, which is much more environmentally friendly, lower NOx, lower CO, higher destruction efficiency. Now you can increase your production and still stay within the permit limit. Now you, Mr. Operator, are making money. And so that's the real win-win-win for us, for the customer, when, when
4: that happens.
1: Winding down here with final thoughts. Uh, anything that we didn't bring up? Anything that you feel we should uh, reiterate I'd like to give guests kind of the final thought, the final word. That way there's not a question framed by me. So uh, the floor is yours, sir.
2: No, I, w- I would just say thank you. It's interesting to always um, – everybody loves to talk about their baby, and this has definitely been – you know, within our score, we've got folks who most all of the leadership team have over 30 years' experience. And so we, we love doing this. We love the innovation part. We love the solution part. And so, no, no, we're happy to always um, – talk about the platform, answer questions about it. And then, you know, like we kind of talked about too, is trying to communicate that message continuously and and as clearly as we can and, and in the right groups, because there is a variety of stakeholders within each region. And so, no, it's, it's, um, it's a fun journey as we kind of have evolved from venting to flaring to now trying to really put low emission technology out in the market. And then eventually using that gas, whenever possible down the road. And so, you no, know, it's a great journey and we certainly love this industry.
1: And that was Andy Smith, the CEO of Ashcore. For the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit the crudelife.com. That's the crudelife.com. That's going to do it for today's program. I'd like to thank Andy Smith for coming on today's program, and we'll be back tomorrow at this time on this radio station and for those of you streaming us on the net, thank you very much. And if you've downloaded one of our podcasts from iHeartRadio, or iTunes. We appreciate that very much as well. There's a bunch of different podcast platforms that you can get our interviews as well as uh, the Multimedia Cafe and the Crude Life as well. Of course, we're part of the Crude Life Media Network. If you go to the crudelife.com, you can click on our social media tab and we've got Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and YouTubes and all those different social media avenues. And if you click on them and like them, we'd appreciate that very much. Be one of our 350,000 social media followers between the Crude Life and the Multimedia Cafe. From the staff here at the Multimedia Cafe, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice.
4: When it's time I'm back to the way